Welcome back to the Evidence-Based Rheumatology Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Putman, and this is episode 44, Upadacitinib versus placebo or adalimumab in patients with rheumatoid arthritis, a phase 3 randomized controlled trial, also known as Select Compare. Let me apologize if you hear any jets flying overhead, but I live in Chicago, and it's the air and water show this week, so they have been constantly buzzing my apartment, and I'm honestly going to have to just do this podcast along with it. So for EBM in the news this week, I highly recommend listening to the recent Vinay Prasad podcast that discussed frequentists versus Bayesian analysis of trials. I think it's a really interesting issue in the sense that there are very accomplished statisticians who currently think we're doing everything completely wrong. This probably will sound crazy to real statisticians, but when it comes to reading trials, I'm pretty sure I'm a frequentist. When I'm in the clinic, I'm pretty sure I'm a Bayesian. Check out those episodes on the Plenary Session podcast and let me know which one you are. With that, let's get to this trial. So this was a phase 3 randomized controlled trial of upadacitinib versus placebo or adalimumab in rheumatoid arthritis. It was published in Arthritis and Rheumatology earlier this year. Now I've been thinking about talking about a JAK inhibitor trial for quite some time. This trial just so happened to include an adalimumab arm, thereby making it to some degree a comparative effectiveness trial, which is a hobby horse of mine. For those reasons, I decided this would be an excellent trial to discuss this week. For background, Upadacitinib is a selective Janus kinase inhibitor, or JAK1. There are basically three JAK pathways that we care about, JAKs 1 through 3, and Upadacitinib is relatively selective for JAK1. Filgotinib is also a JAK1 inhibitor, Baricitinib is a JAK1 and 2 inhibitor, and Tofacitinib, the one that we all know and love as Zelgans, is a JAK1 through 3 inhibitor. We'll talk a little bit more about this selectivity issues later. To get into this trial, patients had to have rheumatoid arthritis for greater than or equal to 3 months, and they had to have active disease, defined as swollen joints, tender joints, a high-sensitivity CRP. In addition to active disease, they needed erosive disease, greater than or equal to three erosions on x-rays of the hands, or greater than or equal to one erosion plus a positive rheumatoid factor and or CCP. Patients had to have been on methotrexate for three months or more at a stable dose. Patients who had not responded to a different biological DMARD were excluded. So this is interesting. When you think about this population, it's a group that has active disease, and has had methotrexate, but not a whole lot of other therapies. Study was a multi-center, very large trial. Patients were randomized to 2 to 1 to either patacitinib 15 mg daily, placebo, or adalimumab 40 mg every other week. Everyone had stable background methotrexate. Methotrexate is still currently the standard of care, and I think that it should be the background if you're going to add a JAK inhibitor. I also really like that they included adalimumab. Instead of only answering the question, is this better than nothing, they're also answering the question, is this better than what is currently one of the guideline recommended next steps if methotrexate isn't successful? Primary outcome measure was ACR20 response at week 12. Not a huge fan of that. ACR20 is not a very impressive outcome measure. Week 12 is pretty early. Would have preferred to see week 12 and maybe week 48 or something along those lines. They did do a ton of other outcome measures, HACC, FACET, CDI, ACR50, 70, etc. So we'll get plenty of things to talk about when we see the results. The analysis was intention to treat. Everything else was more or less appropriate. So let's talk about what these patients looked like. They wound up randomizing 1,629 patients. This is a very large study. The most common reason for patients to be assessed and not entered into the trial was because their high sensitivity CRP was too low or they didn't have enough tender swollen joints. Again, these were active patients. Looking at this group, almost 90% were positive for RF or CCP. 
the mean methotrexate dose was 17 milligrams per week. Not quite to goal in my opinion. To be fair, not everyone gets to 25 milligrams for various reasons of tolerance, so that's also not inappropriate. What were the results? Well, at week 12, 71% of patients who were in the upadacitinib group versus 36% in the placebo group had an ACR20 response. That's a number needed to treat of three. So if you have a patient on methotrexate who's active, not well controlled, has a little erosive disease, you only need to give three people upadacitinib to bring about some kind of meaningful response. More importantly, what about compared to adalimumab? Well, ACR20 was 71% in apatacitinib, 63% in adalimumab, for a number needed to treat of about 13. Not bad. Doesn't mean that it's unreasonable to give someone a TNF as opposed to apatacitinib, but this was statistically significant. This is actually even more interesting to me if you look at more aggressive measures of response. Say ACR50 versus adalimumab, number needed to treat of only 6. So that tells me that apatacitinib was more likely than adalimumab to bring around a bigger response. I kind of like that. Something similar was seen in regards to bullying remission, which is basically the, this patient doesn't have any symptoms whatsoever anymore metric. 18% in the apatacitinib group reached bullying remission versus 10% in adalimumab. So if you have a patient who's on methotrexate and not well controlled, one in five patients who you put on apatacitinib will completely go into remission. Not bad. One in 10 that you put on adalimumab will completely go into remission. Not bad, but definitely not as good. What about those pesky adverse events? Well, Serious infections were higher in both the adalimumab and the apatacitinib group, 1.5% and 1.8%, as opposed to placebo, which was 0.8%. So about 1 in 100 patients that you treat with these drugs will wind up having a serious infection as a result of it. I think that's pretty reasonable, and that's roughly in line with my clinical experience. More importantly, what about this venous thrombosis risk? Well, overall, there is really just nothing there. In the apatacitinib group, there is 1 DVT and 1 PE. In the adalimumab group, there are 3 PEs. In the placebo, there is one PE. This trial was not powered to show a difference in VTE, but I think it's fair to say that there was no signal towards it in this trial either. As per usual with this class of medications, there was an increased risk of zoster infections. There were eight patients in the apatacitinib group who developed herpes zoster, and patients in the apatacitinib group had elevations of their CPK and their LDL cholesterol. Was all this clinically significant for your patients? The answer is yes. HACDI, SF36, a couple of these patient report outcome measures also showed a benefit for upadacitinib against placebo and adalimumab. So not only do your patients score better when you see them in clinic, they report that they feel better overall. I think that's a pretty big win for patients, so let me put this in context overall and talk about JAK inhibitors in general. But like I said earlier, there's tofacitinib, which is a non-selective JAK1 through 3, baricitinib, which is an inhibitor of JAK1 and 2, and then there's filgotinib and upadacitinib, which are inhibitors of JAK1. What does this matter? Well, unfortunately, it looks like the JAK2 pathway predisposes to some degree to venous thromboembolism. At least in the berry data, there is definitely a signal towards that direction. It's not a big signal, but it looks to me like it's a real signal. And unfortunately, I think berry is going to miss the party because of it. If I have a choice between baricitinib and possibly a venous thromboembolism, or a drug that doesn't cause thromboembolism, I'm going to choose the other drug. Tofacitinib is an interesting proposition. We know tofacitinib works well. Unfortunately, it does inhibit that JAK2 pathway, and there was recently a black box warning put out by the FDA for tofacitinib. It was for the 10 milligram dose, BID, which we don't use in rheumatology. There isn't any patient with rheumatoid arthritis who should really be taking that dose. More importantly, tofacitinib is going to be generic in the relatively near future. 
Unlike these fancy biologic medicines, which have been pretty successful in blocking generics from entering the market, I think that the JAK inhibitors, which are oral, may actually become widely available. For that reason, I expect to be using tofacitinib a lot in the near future. And then finally, there's filgotinib and nupatacitinib. Both of them seem to work pretty well, this trial here being my favorite to date. It showed a benefit of upatacitinib over background methotrexate against adalimumab. That automatically bumps it pretty high up on my list of things to reach for when I'm treating someone with refractory rheumatoid arthritis. The way I expect this to go is that in the next couple of years, I'll be using a lot of tofacitinib, and then after that, a lot of either upatacitinib or filgotinib, depending on availability and things like that. Now, the real interesting question to me is whether or not one of these is going to replace methotrexate as the first start. That trial was actually performed for tofacitinib. In the New England Journal in 2014, the oral START trial compared tofacitinib to methotrexate. What did they find? Well, they found that tofacitinib was superior to methotrexate. The number needed to treat was a little under 10 at 6 months. Not too shabby, but unfortunately in that trial, methotrexate was not really a goal. The mean methotrexate dosage was 17 milligrams, and the maximum methotrexate dosage was 20 milligrams. Nobody was on subcutaneous methotrexate at 25 milligrams, which would be, in my opinion, the appropriate comparison arm. So I really hope that either filgotinib or patacitinib runs a proper head-to-head trial against methotrexate. I'd love to know if one of them is actually better than our old standby. And once they become generic and relatively affordable, it may be the first-line therapy for this disease. For now, though, as far as I'm concerned, methotrexate is king. I think that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed hearing the Blue Angels roar overhead. I'll leave you with one last little jet sweep before we go. Thanks again, and have a great week.